Well, welcome. We've been talking the last couple weeks about various things. Of course, it's been Easter. The reality for uh, the believer, though, is Easter is every day, not just Easter Sunday, right? But the fun thing is to be able to recount and go over the story and remind ourselves of the beauty of it and the bigness of it. And so we did that. We went over the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what took place. And in the, the weeks that have followed with you, we've been going through what does it look like? Who did Jesus visit and why? Last week we talked about how he visited specifically Peter was mentioned. And he called Peter's name to remind him of not only the things that he has done, but will do and will, where he'll bring Peter. And so this week we're going to continue in that same thing. But the risen Lord appearing to people matters and it has massive impact. And so this morning, uh, I'm titling my little sermon, Prove It, coming from a skeptic to a servant. We're going to look in John chapter 7. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I need you. We need you. And everything that we do and everything that we put forth, Lord Jesus, it all comes from you. And especially now as we open your word, we ask that you would please open our hearts and open our minds. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That we would grow in your grace, that we would know you more, that we would gain to be more mature in you. We thank you, Lord, that you guide us. Thank you that you didn't just leave us with nothing, but you've given us your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, now, refine us, renew us. Remind us of the beauty and the complexities of the gospel applied to our life and what it looks like for us to live that out. May you be glorified, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, we are in the Missouri, which is often called the what? Show me state. Show me state. Very interesting. People love proof. So what if I said to you guys, what if I just came up with these bold claims? Well, first of all, have you ever had a friend uh, that you, maybe you've gone to school with, you've known for a long time, and when they tell a story, the way they tell a story is very, very near to it not even existing. Like, they took the principles, maybe some people could call them friends, other people could just call them brothers, you know? But when they tell a story, Stephen, Stephen's stories are way more embellished than normal. That's why I'm, I'm playing around here for a second. But um, if you have those friends that usually tell stories, maybe it's a fishing trip and the size of the fish goes from this big to this big, you know, that's got to happen. Maybe it was the greatest golf shot you've ever had, whatever it is. But we all know those people where they tell stories, and the stories are life-changing. Every story is life-changing because each moment of the story keeps building and compounding. And it's like, by the time that it's over, I, I don't even know if there's any truth to what you said at all. <laughs> I don't fully understand what's going on. If I told you that I could run faster than Usain Bolt, or I could throw the ball harder than Ryan Helsley, you know who that is? Closer for the Cardinals. I mean, he's consistently over 100 miles per hour. When he throws the ball. I could shoot better than Steph Curry. Who knows Steph? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. He is a fantastic basketball player, for those who do not know. Or I could drive the ball further than Rory McIlroy. Little compact body that just propels a golf ball for hundreds and hundreds of yards. What would you guys all say? <laughs> Prove it. Prove it. That's where in first grade the old foot race comes about. I'm faster than you for sure. No, I'm faster than you. Okay, now we gotta get, we're going to actually do it. So somebody stands at the end of the line with their hands out and on go, or some people on set, 
That's how I win mine. You start racing, you know what I mean? If first person to touch wins. All this is interesting because it goes towards the proof of something taking place. I've been so struck by the beauty, the intentionality, the bigness of who God is, that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, reveals himself to particular people on purpose. And so there is something that is reasonable to our faith and that we can claim as Christians, Jesus rose from the dead. That is miraculous. A lot of people will say, prove it. And Jesus, in his intentionality of pursuing people, not only proves that he is truly a risen, that he is risen, he's not dead, because there's proof of him walking and talking and meeting with people, but then equally what that means for our faith and the example that he has with the people he met with just blows our, my mind to see the intentionality and the beauty and the wonder of Jesus in his accomplished and applied work. So we have one more today. We looked at Peter. Of course, we've seen even after at the call of Paul, he has, he has revelation of the risen Lord. And all these lives that he's met with, we, from Mary Magdalene to Peter and to who we're going to look at today, their lives go from what looks like bleak, frustrating, they're, they're, the things that they have done in their past could just deter them to make them go off track and off rail entirely. But when they meet with the risen Lord and are reminded of the principles and things he has, um, they, are, it is, they are on fire for the Lord and do immeasurable things for his kingdom. So today, we're going to look at James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. If you could please turn in your Bibles to John 7. John 7. I'm actually going to start in verse 1. Prove it. For those of you who don't know, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let me just read the Bible. John 7, verse 1. Here we go. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Again, these, these are the brothers of Jesus, right? If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Not even his brothers believed in him. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. The text actually goes on that he then goes to the feast, which is very interesting. So the translation there is, is awesome in that it shows us what's taking place because it's making a distinction between uh, what Jesus is saying to his brothers than what he actually does. My time has not yet come, or I am not yet going to the feast is the idea. All right? Either way, this text is very interesting to me because who is Jesus, who, is, who are in dialogue here? It is the brothers of Jesus and Jesus himself. And so what has just taken place in the story of, of John is that uh, Jesus has been doing ministry in Galilee for a lot, for a, a basically the last 12 months. And massive things have taken place here with his ministry. Many miraculous signs. Um, and many people have come to understand and know who he is. But then equally as, as he's going on here and as they're talking about this, they, the brothers are asking G, uh, John, excuse me, the brothers are asking Jesus to go prove yourself in essence outside of Galilee. And so Jesus says, if I go there, it will surely be my death. 
that kind of thing, because my time has not yet come. I'm not going to go there. When you go outside of Galilee in those regions, his brothers are, in essence, saying to him, um, you've done so many things on the fringe. You've worked here in Galilee. You've done the miraculous. You've done all these things. Now, as you go off into Judea, let's show it on a big stage. The Feast of Booze is here. If this is truly who you are, let's see what you can do. The miraculous of the things that you've gone through. So Jesus healing a man who had been disabled for 38 years. Jesus feeding 5,000 um, men with a boy's lunch. Jesus walking on water. Um, and then Jesus telling people that I am the bread of life. Right before all this takes place. And even his disciples leave him. Now his brothers are asking him, um, if, if you truly are this kind of guy, take it to Judea. Take it to the Feast of Booths and show in this context who you are and what you're doing. So James probably the eldest brother of Jesus, is in essence saying to Jesus, prove it. As we go on from here and we look at the book of James, what he authors in that book is largely about your faith being shown by your works. And so this gentleman, what I've discovered over time is he is massively into seeing the action take place of the faith that you have. In this moment here, this is approximately six months before the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is the brothers saying, we, we aren't on board. How would you like to grow up with Jesus as your older brother? It's not the easiest thing, I wouldn't think. Maybe it would be. Maybe the way he would treat you would be fantastic always. But I feel like then, as a wily one, the one that maybe is doing erroneous things or the one that's always a nuisance to mom, like, why can't you just be like Jesus? And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's a different standard there. Um, so I just, in my mind, I'm thinking, how would, how would you like to live under the one that's perfect always? Doing the correct thing at every time and having the right words to speak in the right moments. And when you, when you can't find him, he's not out back with the boys doing something that he shouldn't be doing. He's in the synagogue's teaching. Oh, why, where's Jesus again? I, I don't know. He said, he's actually instructing people into the word of God from the Torah. It's like, ah, yes, James. Um, so it's also difficult because, you know, it's always harder, it says, that, that he's not received in his hometown. So his brothers are saying here, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. The brothers, specifically James, is a skeptic here. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm not believing in you as the Messiah. It's an interesting path to take when you are the own half-brother of Jesus. And he sees all the things that Jesus is taking place. He's known him his whole life. He's seen all the things that are happening here. And this is approximately, like I said, six months before the actual crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he's pressing him out into the world, in essence, to say... Go do the hard things and make yourself known. Prove to me and prove to others who you are. If this is really what you're like, let's put you on the big stage. But then equally, Judea, he knows, is a moment in a time where Jesus won't be received because of the message he has. I want to counter this thinking and this belief by bringing you to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, 1 through 11. And please listen to what takes place. This is, of course, Paul talking about the resurrection. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel 
I preach to you what you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The beauty of the resurrection applied. You see, he is a physical, Jesus is God-man. And being risen from the dead, he appeared to so many people. The beautiful reality of this. So Paul's speaking here as if you would still know these people and you can go talk to them. He's risen. Then in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one ultimately born, untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not, excuse me, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I find it immensely amazing that in the account of the, of the life of Christ after his resurrection, before his ascension, he intentionally visits specific people. And specific people are intentionally mentioned. We looked last week at Peter, and this week it says in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. What would that conversation have been like, you think? His brothers didn't believe in him beforehand. And they were pushing, he was pushing him out into Judea. The text told us in, in John that he knew that it would be to his peril if he went there. And he's pushing him out. He's pushing him out. He's, he's basically saying, we, we don't perceive who you are. And then after the resurrection, he comes to his very own blood. He comes to his brother. What do you think they talked about? That's just a one-liner again. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. You see, at this point in the church, James is an entirely different individual. Not only does he believe, but he is a cornerstone or a pillar, is what Peter calls, of the church. And so something radical takes place between the six months of James not believing in Christ to Jesus spending time with him before his ascension. And I just want to say that when you behold Jesus, everything changes. When you behold the risen Son of God, Everything in your life is transformed. All the doubts, all the fears, all the skepticisms, all the frustrations, all the questions with a shaking fist, all the pains and regrets that you have and all the failures that you carry in life. I believe that when you see the risen Christ, when you truly recognize the gospel applied to your life, when Jesus calls your name, just like you said, and, I appear, and Peter, and I appeared to James, and all these things, I don't think that there's anything that you can walk away from in a, in a holding on to something anymore. So this is now James the servant. He moves from James the skeptic and saying, I don't believe, to encountering the risen Lord in his life being radically different, and I'm calling him James the servant. Church history calls him James the just and is, is known throughout church history as wise, as discerning, as having um, stable counsel. And so we, we find out in the book of Acts, and specifically Acts 1.14, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, 
together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were there with the church devoting themselves to prayer. The family was reunited. Then, of course, we know what takes place immediately after is the sending of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. The family is not only there together remembering and praying and celebrating Jesus as risen and ascended, they then encounter the power of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, pouring upon them to continue the works and the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. You see, James encounters the risen Lord and is, tra is transformed in his faith and his understanding. He is also empowered with the Holy Spirit. And we see throughout the rest of his life, uh, throughout Scripture, we have scriptural accounts of these things. Paul talks about James frequently. We see James' leadership as leading the church in, Jer in Jerusalem for many years and being the spokesperson of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, where there was this conversation between Jews and Gentiles coming to the faith, and do they have to come to the same way that Jews do it in circumcision and uncircumcision and all these things? And James just sits back after listening and, and hearing all these things taking place, and from all these people, he just says, after they have finished speaking, James replied. He waits his turn, and in a stately way, he just says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuke I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. Then the remnant of mankind, of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled from the blood." For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in their synagogues. I read this purposely because of the way he speaks. He speaks in power and authority because he is an apostle in the church. Peter calls him in Galatians 2 a pillar of the church. And so we have a radical transformation from the James that, that did not receive Jesus as the Messiah six months prior to his crucifixion to Jesus visiting with him approximately a week or so after his resurrection and the reality and the beauty of what takes place in the conversations they had. And I just want to pull out three points for us today. Obviously, your past doesn't define you. Your life in Christ does. Just because he started as a skeptic, didn't, he didn't end there. He was one of the pillars of the church that built and brought it to the way it is, to, to what we have today. But James the servant is a man of, of authority and of power and of love. And in James 2.18 it says this, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is a powerful text because James is moving from the understanding of that prove it mentality seems to have always been in his life, at least the way I see it. And so he goes from not recognizing who he is as a skeptic to recognizing who Jesus is as the risen Lord and then being transformed by his Holy Spirit to do amazing things, even writing a book that we have in our Bible today. And in this book, James goes further to say, prove it. If you believe you're saved, then let's see it. If you are rooted in Christ, your fruit should reveal your life in him. 
And so his whole book is about almost this, if you will, Nike way of living life. Just do it. Prove it. Let me see your faith by the works that you do. It should reveal the risen Lord. It should reveal the power of the Holy Spirit in and through you. James 1.1 starts this way. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. His whole mindset and demeanor went from skepticism to, to servanthood. Went from just being a half-brother, you know, not recognizing the full ramifications of the life in which he was living under and around and having, to then living through the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit in him to proclaim the excellencies and the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was dead, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. Defeating your sin, taking your shame, taking upon himself all of your regret that you would have life in him as you believe and life more abundantly. And so this James becomes a massive pillar of the church and someone whom not only we look up to but um, have wisdom from and look to in the New Testament. His book has become almost like the Proverbs of the New Testament and how we see it today. Um, but here are my three things for you before we, we end. And because I can, I throw things on there that grammatically don't make sense. Number one, serve up. <clears throat> You'll make, it'll make sense in a second. When we see the life of Christ radically transform people, our response is that of service. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James starts his book to say, here I am, a servant of Jesus Christ and of God. And so my, my call to us is if we're going to prove it, if we're going to live our faith in the world, what does it look like? I would say serve. Sacrifice your pride and your ego, even your well-being, to be able to exemplify the majesty and the glory of who Jesus Christ is in this world. Put God first in what you're doing in life, in the way you think. Instead of going from how does it benefit me, how does this reflect and honor the Lord, and how can I be used for him in life? So our mindset, our whole, everything is shifted to say, if I'm a servant of God, the way I serve in the world should exemplify and prove where I'm rooted, the fruit that I have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And we've all heard this text. He goes away and he forgets what he looks like. You see, actions should follow equally what you believe and what you say. If we are rooted in Christ, let the follow-through of our actions be that of service and exemplification of who he is and what he's done. Number two is speak up. Speak up. We see in James' life that he took opportunity to take, to take matters before the Lord and then to speak clarity into those situations. How he took matters at the Jerusalem Council as a spokesperson after listening then he embraced and encountered with authority and with truth that came from the word of God. I believe that if we behold Jesus Christ, our life is not defined in our past anymore. It's defined in the reality of the gospel in which we live today. So the things that you've struggled with all your life, the things that you continually have in your mind don't have to be the things that define you. The applied work of Jesus Christ does. And that enables us to be able to speak confidently in the situations where we may, may feel that we don't even have the answers. First, listen, and then speak, and speak truth and life into them. That's what Christ did. Of course, that's what James does. 
And my last one is simply this. Step up or take action. Serve up, speak up, step up. I see, I just put up on the first one because all the other ones had up. It doesn't really make sense. I just, what I'm trying to have you guys do is just to think, if I am exemplifying Jesus Christ and empowered by his spirit, everything I'm going to do is be oriented towards a godly way. I'm going to go first to, towards the Lord and the things that he's done because he transforms my mind. He's transformed my heart. He's given me a new purpose to serve, to speak, and then the other one to act or to step up and to do something. You see, James just doesn't wait. All throughout his book, he equally says, um, it's talking about the way that you walk alongside the poor, the needy, those that are hurting. And so even, even when the, the apostles um, spoke to James spoke about James and the things that he was doing. Um, James admonished Paul as he was going forth, take care of the poor. And so the very same things is in this way, our lives, after we behold the risen Lord Jesus Christ, our lives should exemplify and honor and show and reveal who Jesus is in everything we do. Jesus is worthy of our response and a response that shows that our lives are changed. I have found that it's, it's very easy in life to just be able to slide by. And I think that when we encounter the risen Lord, and when we see the power of his Holy Spirit applied to us, there's no sliding anymore. You intentionally want to do things like serve, like speak, and like take actions for the Lord. I had the privilege, um, many of you know this, some of you that may not know this, I had the privilege of um, serving for Living Hope International in Africa when I was in college, and I lived in Livingston, Zambia for a couple months and worked on behalf of Living Hope, um, just investigating and researching orphans and street kids and those kind of things, the poor. And it was a wonderful eye-opening opportunity for me, but one, after teaching in uh, community school in fourth grade, we would go into the community and I'd meet with various parents and have small groups and focus groups on what is their life like, what's going on, and what, what is the daily thing, and what, what are actions that um, the church or organizations can take place to help alleviate some of that poverty. It was very, very interesting, but one of the things that most impacted me, of course, is the relationships. So teaching fourth graders, there was a boy. Um, his name was George, uh, a wonderful little guy, um, didn't have parents, came from a home that was totally bleak. And um, so after teaching one day, we went home, and George got a little buddy, and he and his buddy walked from the village where he was staying all the way to the guest house where I was staying. It was approximately an hour walk. He found me. And I think that he was just asking people where, where I was. Because of cultural differences, I was there long enough that I got to meet a lot of people, all the rest. But I think he could figure out in town where I was staying and asked enough people that he got to me. So he came and he knocked on our door, he and a little buddy, and just to say hi. And I, uh, I didn't really know what to do. <laughs> and so this is myself and Adrian. Adrian Kayeba is the son of Adam Kayeba, um, the, the one there helping lead the work there in, in Zambia. And so we were there staying together, and two, two of these orphan boys who are beautiful, amazing young boys uh, at the door, and they just wanted to say hi. And we don't have anything to give them, to offer them. I had some snacks, so I let them into our, our guest house room is that uh, equivalent of a, basically a hotel room. And so there were two beds, one for Adrian and myself, and there was a bathroom. That was it. Very, very small. So we walked in, and um, he noticed that we had a shower. And so I think for about 30 minutes, or until the water turned, like, turned off, I used probably the tank of water, I let George and his buddy play in the shower. 
And it was one of the most amazing experiences I've had because the running water aspect is something that he's never experienced before. And so I could hear him playing, and they, the, it, was, it, was a disaster. it was nothing I would have ever done with my kids. How about that? Water was just all over the floor. They were, but to hear their laughter and the playing, and it was, it was like a mini water park in our hotel room. Um, and I just remember, this must have been one of the greatest days of George's life. That's what I thought in the moment. He got to come, you know, he's in the water, he's celebrating. Shame on me. Because what happens is, you think back, excuse me, you think back on these things, and it's really not the experience that they have, but the beauty that the Lord allows you to participate in the gospel. Isn't that true? When you share the gospel with somebody, when you, when you open your heart and you open your door, when you serve, when you speak, when you take action for Jesus Christ, it is one of the biggest things that you can ever experience in your life. It transforms. Um, and so, you know, allowing George to have that moment and the opportunity was really, really great, but it impacted me more because it reminded me of the hope of the gospel of Jesus. It reminded me of what it looks like to live life alongside people that need to hear truth. It reminded me of what it looks like to serve and love on and help those that are vulnerable or those that are going through hard times. And that doesn't just mean monetary poverty, right? It means anyone that's struggling in anything. I encounter a lot of people on a daily basis that are spiritually poor. They don't know who God is. Why wouldn't I want to step up into that? To be able to serve them, to be able to speak truth and life into it because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to be able to take action to help them understand that there's something greater to live for. James' life was transformed after meeting with Jesus. Your past doesn't have to define you. He went from being a skeptic to being a servant. Your life in Christ does. Get up and go. Prove it. Prove that the gospel of Jesus Christ has hands and feet. Prove that the risen Lord is far greater than anything we can see, think, or imagine. Prove that the power of the Holy Spirit within you is far greater than that which is in the world. And let's exemplify and show who God is. Because he didn't just send us the Spirit and give us his word and have a risen Lord for us just to be comfortable. He gave these things to us that we would be his conduits, his, his agents of restoration in the world. That like James, we would speak the truth in love. That we would stand firm on what we know is truth and gospel and speak into situations and matters with things that hold rather than things that shift. And so I admonish you guys, there is something intentional to the reality of what Jesus did and who he appeared to after his resurrection. And as we look back in the text of Scripture and the depth and the beauty of what it is, I didn't do it justice. There's far more to James, but I want to highlight something for us today. And that is that we are not bound and held by the things that we've done in our past. But as you behold the risen Lord, your life is transformed. And as you believe in him, your life is made new. And you're set with purpose to serve, to speak, and to act. The last thing I'm going to leave you with is this. The love that Jesus has for his family. He took time after his resurrection to go to his brother, his blood brother. Brother that was maybe struggling. Jesus knew what was in his mind and his heart. There was a reason he was denying Jesus six months prior to all these things taking place. But he saw fit that it was necessary for him to visit with his brother before he ascended. The relational way that Jesus loves his family is an example to how we should love ours. 
But greater than that, listen to Mark 3 as we close. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus Christ, had a, he had a blood family. He was man. But spiritually speaking, those that are in him, those that do the will of God, are your brothers and your sisters and your mothers. In the sense that he, he unites us to himself in repentance and allows us to know that familial relationship with him as well. Not only does he love his blood brother enough, his half-brother James, but he was also willing in that way to extend that same kind of relationship to those that believe in him. And so wherever you are now in your life, if you're struggling with things from your past, if you are in that skeptic mode of maybe just prove it, Lord. I believe in you, but I'd love to see something happen. Prove it to me then I, I just challenge you this morning, quiet your heart before the Lord and visit with the risen Jesus Christ because he has proven himself and he will prove himself and he's the one that is faithful from time past to present to future. And I just want to encourage you that as you serve and as you speak and as you take action for the Lord, we believe that he will help us to understand the place that we have in his kingdom to be able to do these things faithfully and to do them well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your example, sending your son, Jesus Christ. That you cared so much for your son that you were willing to send him to the cross for us. And in the same way, we thank you for the example that Jesus has with his half-brother, James, and the love he had to visit him after his resurrection. We thank you that the way that you have, have created family and instructed all these things, we thank you that you have called us as, as we believe into your family and you care for us in that perfect and in that wonderful way. I pray for my brothers and my sisters here that, Lord, you would give us the confidence and the boldness to see who we are in you, to serve, to speak, and to step up and take action. May we honor you, Lord Jesus. As we spend time with you, may we be more like you. In your name we pray, amen.